This week on Next in Marketing, I spoke with Amy Johnson, CMO of Zillow Group, and Anna Gonska, founder and CEO of Notch. Amy talked about how Zillow has been leaning into the hot real estate market of the past year as the company looks to pivot from a media and listing site to a true e-commerce player. One way Zillow is achieving that is by producing more service content for home buyers. And that's where Notch comes in. Anna spoke about how her startup is helping brands use smarter analytics and data to figure out how best to use content. And the surprising answer is often, do less. Let's get started. Everything we know about the media, marketing, and advertising business is being completely upended thanks to technology and data. We're talking with some of the top industry leaders as they steer their companies through constant change. Welcome to Next in Marketing, presented by AppsFlyer. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Next in Marketing. I have two guests this week, Amy Johnson. She's the CMO of Zillow Group and Anna Gonska. She's the founder and CEO of Notch Inc. Welcome, Amy and Anna. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Mike. Good to see you. Same. So, Amy, I'll, I'll start with you because it's 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 a very it's been a it's been a really interesting year for many reasons in marketing. But um, you're in the you're in the relatively new to this position, and you're and you're kind of arriving in a, a a wild moment in real estate. And, and depending on where you live and what part of the world and what's going on, has that has that changed your strategy? Like when when the market, I'm I'm assuming you, that's good for your business, but has that changed your marketing strategy? Have you had to? Does that cause you to shift tactics, ramp up some different uh, spending levels? Like what happens when you're riding a, a, a wild market like this? Um, super fascinating. Uh, we started, um, so for those of you who don't know, Zillow is fantastic search and find site, right? Like people go there to find homes, et cetera. Um, and what we started doing about three or four years ago is starting to expand our services. So we, are moving into this idea that we don't just want to help you search and find a home, but we want to help you move forward in the entire real estate transaction. So we've stood up mortgages, we've stood up title, we've stood up, we buy homes from people. I was going to say, you guys are in so the business now. We already started it. And then what happened was when the pandemic hit, one of the things we were really nervous about and concerned, if you remember back in March 2020, the world's coming to an end and all sorts of dire things. We're like, oh my gosh, no one's going to look for homes. People what can't, are we going to do? People can't go what see stuff. How, how's it going to work? Right. 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 So being a house company in a way, we leaned into the fact that home is important. So as opposed to like, we're not selling anything. It's just go on and just look and just dream about what you can have because we understand how important home is. So while we were having the communication of empathy with the customer and frankly, our employees, we were still building these other assets um, to, to be successful. We were still testing things with customers to see how do we talk about buying and selling a home with you. Um, so we, 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 kind of rode it had soft knees, if you will, I guess, in the skiing terms, we rode the moguls um, and have popped out the other end with now really, really leaning into the e-commerce of real estate and not just focusing on the search and find, but also in the search and find and expanding past it. So a lot of the communications now you're seeing from us are more about to move is to grow and we do all these things with us and we will help you unlock life's next chapter and move forward. Right. But so that it sounds like you're because that you're. I imagine there's, there's there's a chunk of your audience that is totally in home buying mode, and then there are people that mm -hmm, are browsing mm -hmm. and just kind of exploring. And you probably your marketing has to reflect that, I guess, at yes. a certain point, especially this during this weird time. You just kind of have to, have to like have two two pronged or three pronged strategies. Yes, we do. So, and that's also why we're thinking about content differently than we have before. So, if you have a hundred million people that come to our site monthly, 
but only five to six million on a non-COVID year. Five to six million people buying and selling homes. There's a big delta there, right? There's, right. there's clearly not everybody's looking to buy and sell a home. However, people are in a wide spectrum of investigative reporting. Everything from, I'm going to look at a $17 million home just because it's fun to like those games that people are doing during COVID that was like, okay, you have $200,000 if you're in Ohio and you have a six person family, find the best home in the next five minutes, right? All the way through, I don't know what I want next. I just had my second kid. I know I need a two bedroom. We're not quite ready to buy yet, but I want to search it. So a lot of that is going on. So we want to make sure that we give you the freedom to really dig into what you need at that moment. Once you start identifying yourself as like, oh, I'm saving something. Oh, I'm looking at something. Now I'm spending a little bit more time clicking around. I'm narrowing down on zip code. I'm looking at different things that are important, that seem important to the customer that we see. We start then engaging them differently. And this is where we're really dialing up and we're hoping to dial up. Let's get the right content to the right person mm -hmm. as we see them shift from a more passive, playful space to a more active transaction space. Gotcha. So that, yeah, there, there are signals you look for that, that show, tell you someone's moving down the funnel at some point. Yeah, um, and it's hard. I mean, like I came from Starbucks, which is like every morning you could actually have somebody buy a coffee because they consume their coffee. Right. Home buying is a five considered... to ten year journey. <laughs> it's like it's not gonna be like, great, buy your house. You know, like right. I'm gonna I'm gonna do an attach item with you and give you five percent off. Like it's right. totally, it's completely, completely right. different. So you have to really nurture and relationship build and drive that funnel and not think of the next action being the one transaction that's gonna get them there. Okay. So you you mentioned content. I want to come back to that, but I want to bring on into the conversation. Speaking of content. On a maybe, I think some folks in the industry know you, and and you're an, a no notch, but not probably not everybody. So maybe you could just give us the um, the notch origin story, if you would, would, and kind of tell us what you guys are up to lately. Sure. Yeah. So um, we call ourselves a content intelligence platform, um, and at a really high level, we help companies connect content to business outcomes. Even simply, uh, even simpler, uh, we, we really help companies understand what content works, what content doesn't, and, and why that is, with the ultimate goal of making more of what works and less of what doesn't. So uh, the reason why this is important is actually COVID accelerated this trend tremendously, but there's a, tr there's a massive amount of content being produced across every company. I think the mandate across the board for the last five years has been, let's become a publisher, even if we're a brand. We saw the announcement yesterday from Salesforce that they're launching their own streaming service. Yes. And that's a marketing driven initiative, actually. So, you know, there's more and more people who are jumping in and saying, we believe in content. But what we notice is that most people are playing the volume game, not the intelligence game. And so we came in to really help companies become smarter. And as companies are creating brands are creating more and more content, I think they're reaching this peak of content volume where it feels like you're making too much. And that's typically when we come in and to be honest, across most of our customers, which are across, you know, financial technology, consulting, uh, higher consideration, I would say products like like home buying. Um, we've noticed that about 70 percent of the content that is being created when we are brought in doesn't necessarily move the needle towards increasing the conversion through the customer journey or increasing brand or building audience. So we're just the intelligence partner to help companies get through that. And when, when you start engaging with these brands that are all of a sudden hitting this peak where they're producing lots of stuff and they're not, I, I'm, I'm assuming some of them say to you, well, yeah, well, it's all, this is all mostly digital. So I have, I have, I have Google analytics data here and I've got Facebook, uh, share information there and I've got data. Like what, 
what can you what can you bring to the table it's different you have, are those the kind of questions you get well i would say that typically when a company is producing that much content there's a feeling of chaos that i think is felt uh from from the top all the way to the bottom and so the one of the inflection points is um when the company brings in a centralized content leader and that leader then goes to someone in the company and says do we have any data do we believe in this data can we bring it together in real time can we use it to make decisions and uh, to be honest with you, yes, there's some proxy data sets, but it's so hard to bring them together and trust them and ensure that they're really connecting content to business outcomes versus just connecting content to views and other vanity metrics, that that content leader's job becomes very difficult unless they're using the content intelligence platform. Um, and I know obviously Zillow has just gone through a lot of this uh, transition. So I would love for Amy to jump in if she has any any comments on their own journey with volume and quality? Well, that, that, I will. Yeah, that's. I would love you to jump in because I'm. I'm curious with you guys. The content you're describing so far, I see. It seems to run the spectrum where you're, you're helping people research topics that are may, that they're maybe buying something in four months and they're not really sure about. Uh, you know how to get a how to get a second mortgage or whatever it is. So, and then there's stuff probably that's much more um, immediate. How do you? I guess how what kind of metrics are you looking for to make sure your content's working if not all of it is, you know, straight up ROI driven like you might think? Right. Now that's what we're working on now is the strategy of all that. So we were at a place where um it was like a lot of really great stuff. A lot just felt like a lot. Like we got stuff in social, we're doing stuff on Facebook, we got like we're, we're everywhere. We're like but everywhere and nowhere. And even on a product, it's maybe super hard to find something, but by the time they do, people click. So we're in the process now of creating the use cases. So it can't be all content for everyone, right? right? So which specific customers, what specific actions are we looking to to um, help a customer with? Right. And then how do we gauge? Is that customer then moving down the funnel? I mean, our big thing is we want to help you move forward in your real estate transaction. So what we're looking at are things like, did this help you move forward? So you have to ask the customer the question of, did they do the next thing or you have to understand the next thing they would do is this so therefore did they click on the thing it's all about moving them forward because we don't have a transaction i'm not going to tie it directly right to revenue. moving forward doesn't do. mean they bought something or they no. got a lead or something it could be just no, a, no, advanced no. a different topic or something yes and you have to be okay with it not going directly to revenue i think this is the hard part super yeah. hard part it's like well how do i know that because you unlocked them finishing a questionnaire that that should die to revenue. I'm like, well, there's like six other steps that the customer needs to go through. So you could assume that if the other steps remain as a not, then you're going to get whatever flow through from that lift of the first thing is. But it's not right. tremendous unless you get them through the other. And you have to be okay with like, well, maybe only 5% will go through, but that's 5% more than you had had you not had that content in, had you not. It's, it's a really interesting mind shift to have yeah. to have. Yeah, you're kind of you're having to play a long game, which is not always mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. not always comfortable in this era where you can just track everything immediately. Mm -hmm. Mike, I wanted to jump in and just offer yes. one one stat that I think would be relevant, because um, one of the things that we do through the platform is uh, measure customer journey conversion and really understand how does content drive that. So one of the big uh, insights that we discovered across all of our customers is that when someone consumes more than two pieces of content and the ideal is around three, 
they are 250% more likely to finish any type of sign-up form. So whether that's a credit card sign-up form or whether that's a sign-up form for a newsletter, really whatever your goal is, if you can touch those people with relevant content that converts them in two or three steps, they are that much more likely to finalize a really significant business action. And it's all about building models that are you know, filled with leading and lagging indicators, right? Because maybe signing up to something is not a lagging indicator of success, but it could be a leading indicator of success. Mm -hmm. So you're, but I think it sounds like generally speaking, throw, throwing that please sign up here thing at people before they've, before they're ready is not, is not a great, is, is a dangerous strategy and, and content helps get, bring you there. And it's so funny because it's, it's obvious when you say it that way, but then it's crazy how many of our customers, not only do they throw it before people have even consumed like, you know, two content pieces, but we see them throwing it in the middle of the first content asset that someone's consuming, which then detracts from the engagement with the content right. itself. And so sometimes some of the insights seem, you know, obvious, but they're still extremely valuable because the impetus to really drive to a lead is just so high. Sure. Well, the, it's, you got to get first party data in that mo yeah. moment right now. Everyone's right. in that Give me mindset, my phone right? number. Give me the phone number. And right, customers right. like, I'm not giving you my phone number. You're right. not even telling me why you need it. Don't spam me. So we done. haven't <laughs> given me any value. So why would right, I give right, you my right. phone right. number? <laughs> well, Amy, how do you guys figure that out? Because that's, that's interesting. A lot of people are going to be hesitant to hold on a second. I'm not buying a home tomorrow. Like I'm, I'm still, I'm uh -huh. just thinking here. I don't want to tell you who I am yet. Like, but I, I like Zillow. They were giving me some value. Like, how do you, how do you figure out when to start saying, I got to, I want to capture data. I want to know who you are. I want to build my list up. Well, that's what we're playing around with now because we really are going from a media publisher, if you will, with ad model to a e-commerce real estate. So it is a very different mindset of what content is and how you move a customer forward and how hands on or not you are with actual content. So you do something literally next. So we are in the moment literally of trying to figure out what things should we be asking for? Um, right. Do we ask it all on one page? Do we do it subsequently? After they hit a submit button, do we come back later and say, hey, would you, for faster service, do you want to give us a phone number? Like, it's really a lot of test and learn, and you have to have the feedback loops in there from the customer. I, I am a super strong advocate for quantitative data, but you only get to know what they're doing, not why they're doing it. And you really have to tie back to asking, actually literally asking a customer, why are you not filling in the phone number? We know they're not because we see that's the biggest drop off. I'm just using that as an example. But you, unless you know why, then you can't fix the problem if you need well, to. I mean, you, you mean literally asking it, like you're not like- uh, Literally, like you're literally being asking upfront, for it. Being upfront with people. Yes. Like, I think brands yes. are going to have to start doing that more, right? This, yes, stop yes, yes. And customers, why? I mean- the, the phone, now that no one has, well, maybe people do because they still do bundles with Comcast and stuff, but you don't have a phone at home, which used to be my spam number, right? That's the mm -hmm. number I gave everybody. So I don't want to be spammed on my cell phone. Who knows when regulations are going to change? So I don't. So yeah. it, it's explaining. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I tell my team, think about the things you're asking of your customer as if you'd ask a friend. Because like, if I just met you, Mike, I'm like, can you give me your phone number? You're like, no. <laughs> Like, why would right. I do? So why would we expect total strangers to do that of us too? Even if they trust us, it's still enough context setting for that trust to continue to build. And I think that's what the content piece is um, surrounding that as well, because it's like, here's the things we know you need. You probably don't need to know. You probably don't know you need to do that yet. I can't ask you for a thing you don't know you need. So I need to set up the context enough 
so that it's in a, a voice that you can understand and feel comfortable with such that then you can do the next thing. And it's right. super, it's super hard to be in the knowing of what they need to do next, but yet be super specific on giving them the information at the right time. Um, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And this is going to be just evolving for a while. This is not, yes. I don't know if you, tells you you're not going to have a, a, a firm way of doing this for, for a while. Lots of brands. And by the way, one of the things that, um, to answer your previous question, Mike, around like what, what is different in terms of data set, one of the things we really believe in and it's foundational to our platform is the uh, capability to actually ask people a question. So uh, alongside all the other conversion data, engagement data, et cetera, uh, we are actually enabling um, many different customers, including Zillow, to essentially canvas all their content with the right questions that deal with how do you feel about this? You know, why are you not converting? What didn't land around this? What did land around this? So that you get that qualitative and quantitative and you can look at it in, in conjunction so you can better understand the audience. Yeah, I, I, mean, can, can I Go ahead, please. I say if I could pivot on that for a second. So it was interesting. So we were um, we pulled all of our data sets together. We we looked at a funnel uh, in, in one of our business units, and then we attached all the different places you had to go to get the data to see whether or not that customer made it to the end. There are mm -hmm. 14 different data sets, but even within those data sets, it was not like you just pull one thing right out. And the first question we got from the senior leaders we were presenting to is, well, why can't we just use Google Analytics? And mm -hmm. it was fascinating because I'm like, because they give you the top. If right. I need to know all this other stuff, and it's not even all the other stuff, it's the why around they move forward. That's the right. stuff that you're not going to get. Google LX is really just like clickstream data and telling people where, where totally. you went. No, there's totally. no why. Totally. Um, but, but, that's that, but that is funny that senior leadership would think that. That makes sense that they would think that way. Because that's that. in top of mind, right? Why not? We've been using it for yeah. years. Why can't they just help? Right. We're going deeper in the funnel. Both of you guys are kind of describing a mindset, mindset shift that that's kind of has to happen in the industry that there's just a lot. Like inherently, the way we've targeted people has kind of been like, putting stuff on your desktop and this will track you. Don't worry about how it happened. And we got some data on you. We're not going to explain it at all. And that's just like, that's, that's challenging for an industry that's done things one way for a while. Yeah. You know, I like there's certain brands that I really respect like Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix does a really nice combination between I'm going to ask the customer a question and I have all these analytics. And by the way, I also have a stylist. So there's this human math thing going on where if they get my order wrong twice, they pop up things like, oh, wait, you don't seem to be bohemian. I think you thought you were, but maybe you're sitting. <laughs> Can you answer some of these questions? So they don't assume they know everything. And right. it seems as if they have triggers in place to know more once they're going left instead of right. And then they give me the option to talk directly to a stylist about what's missing or not. I mean, I, I really respect the way they're... They're, they're, they're the way they're thinking about how to satisfy their customer. On to shifting gears a little bit, or, or maybe in the same What you, you talk to lots of CMOs all the time. What is, aside from maybe the identity stuff, which we can talk about, but what's, what's worrying them right now, other than like, you know, is, is Delta going to destroy the economy and what's going to happen to our life again? <laughs> like, what, what is, um, like, what's on their minds lately? I wish I could answer the, the question about Delta, trust me. Um, yeah. In relation to what you guys were talking about before, I think, I don't know if I should call this an area of worry. I think it's almost like a perpetual friction that seems to continue, which is 
not only around content intelligence, but also product analytics, um, overall data in general, there seems to be a disconnect between the products that are out there, like a Google Analytics, which is clickstream data. It's basically just data in a raw format and the types of actionable insights that marketing teams need to act fast, especially in a really fast moving world where the news cycle is seconds. So I think that's uh, an area of constant exploration for CMOs and constant frustration because there is so much noise, right? There's so many different partners that are promising the, the world. Um, so it's hard to separate between signal and noise. And then on top of that, I honestly think it's the same for CMOs as it is for CEOs and almost everyone else, which is talent. Um, we were, I was talking to someone and sort of joking about the great resignation, but I feel like everyone's coming out with content talking about how difficult it is to maintain a really high level of talent across the board. And I think for marketing, it's becoming even more fluid. Um, and I think in relation to their agencies, sometimes CMOs feel like they're not getting the best talent because everyone's essentially hiring really great people from agencies to be internal. Mm -hmm. um, so there's just a lot of movement more so than there was to begin with. And there was a lot of movement to begin with in this industry. Um, so yeah, that would say that that's, that's top of mind. Why, why do you think the talent thing is happening? I'll ask you both. Maybe is it, is it simply there is we people pause their career movement for you know a year and a half and now everyone and it's just, just shaking everything up or is it just a shortage of great marketing people at a high level that have like this balance of uh, you know data driven and and old school branding stuff or what, what's 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 so challenging right now for for marketers on uh, maybe you start and then Amy can jump in okay yeah I have strong opinions so yes I think excellent. um I think senior marketers um you know, people call COVID the great accelerator. I think it, it accelerated their bosses realizing that there may be bigger gaps when it comes to digital marketing and the, the big shifts that are coming or have come and mm -hmm. are continuing to come. So we've actually, I don't know if you've been tracking this, Mike, but I've actually seen a lot of media leaders leave their roles um, and being replaced by, you know, agency folks typically. Um, media leaders who had been in place for, you know, 10 years at any mm -hmm. company. Um, I think there's a lot of shifts happening even at the CMO level because of this. It's almost like the new guard that is digital first versus some of the old guard that maybe is more brand focused. I don't yeah. know. Um, and then in terms of the, the rest of kind of the more junior to mid-level talent, I think 100% people put their head in the sand during the year and a half. And now they're finally taking their out <laughs> of the sand. All these startups have raised so much money, not just startups, like even bigger companies are raising crazy amounts of money, um, which means that between that and the great resignation, people have to hire a lot more and they're just throwing money at it. So the salaries are going up. So why wouldn't you listen if, if you're throwing job offers at you if there's a lot, of, a lot of cash out there? And Yeah, it just ends up being a bit of a, you know, I don't want to call it a mess. I think it's just a natural market forces right. that will lead us to a new equilibrium. It's just in the time in between is tough when there's less there's there's less stability or they're going through a lot of transition. Yeah. Well, it's tough for business owners and you know executives who are trying to bring stability during this yep. time. Yep. Amy, are you seeing similar um, just hiring crunch? And I wonder how much of it is driven by the unique skill set that 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 marketers need now. Maybe this generation gap that that Anna was describing. Yeah, I think it's a combination. Um, just like. Onda was saying, I think it's a little bit of 
I mean, I have an odd background. Like I was a computer programmer, then I was in CPG, then I was in retail and now I'm in tech. So I have a weird, like I did brand, I was a GM. I, like, so I have a kind of weird, oh, I could put it together thing. And it, it's almost like now if you don't have a couple of those pieces in your background, you're too focused singularly. So to Anda's point, I think the expansion of what a CMO could bring to the business, the opportunity is greater than perhaps the singular focus some of the people have had from their past lives in the seed. Right. I, I, I personally worry a bit going from someone that worked on an all agency side coming in-house. So I, I am seeing a bit of that shift. What I've seen where I'm concerned about that a bit is understanding how to work in organization is an actual skill. And so my hope for people that leave agencies that go into companies is that they have people around them that can be like, oh, oh, oh no, John was nodding yes, but he's not on board. Like that was a soft no, but you need to know. Like, so there's all these things you didn't have to worry about. So at a senior level, you have to have those cues. So are those spots in place? And we've been thinking about that when you're hiring folks in. Yeah, and and you're gonna you're gonna be doing that, and often in case we're not you're not in the office yet, and you're and where, where you learn a lot of that stuff. So, so a it's, lot, it's and you need 25 people. You can't see the furrowed brow, and people right. nod yes, right. like they hear you, but not that they're agreeing. It's a whole other. And then the younger, I don't say that, uh, lower down. I, I I don't know. I don't, we're, we have remote work now. And the reason that we did that was because we want more diversity. We need flexibility. Do you really need to be seeing each other every day? Now, are we getting rid of the offices? No, because now they're collaboration spaces where you actually can get together and be super purposeful. And mm -hmm. I think what, in addition to what Anna said, everything I agree with, is the folks now have also the flexibility. If you hear ABC financial institutions saying, you need to be in the office five days a week, and there's all these companies that are like, work from home, fly over here once a quarter. We need your talent. That's opening the workforce too. Sure. Whether or not you believe it's happening, but it's definitely having us. It's, we're talking to people all over the country and they're very excited about the opportunity to work from home, but yet still have to fly in. Yeah. I think that's going to be interesting. You'll see more companies that are have like the, the, they'll have the office, but it's, it's going to be very purposeful, purposeful when you use it and when you get rather people mm -hmm. together for stuff. And you need the KPIs. I think where people are getting lost is they're like, let's just have people work from home. And then they're like, what are they doing? They have to get back to the office. Like, well, right. yeah, do you so have clear KPIs? Do you know what they're supposed to be doing? Or you have clear managers that are checking in with them? So if you structure it as if it's like a sales organization or organizations that have been doing this for years, then you could feel more comfortable with people working remotely. Okay, so we, we've been talking a lot about data and trying to figure out where, where, where customers are in the funnel. And of course, like we've been talking to death this year about the all the big changes in, in identity and how we target consumers. I wonder, maybe we can start with you, but I want to love on to jump in. Like our brands right now, like the the IDFA thing hit, and it really it seems to really matter to you if you are in the app install biz, you know, business if that's important to your life. Um, matters to Facebook. The the Google extension is kind of I wonder if if it matters a lot right now. Are brands just going to keep doing what they were doing and getting ready for a world with, world with no cookies, or is it gonna is it gonna cause a lot of brands to just say we've got an we've got We've got an extension and we can do or do whatever we want targeting wise until the clock strikes. Well, I think the extension is you, I don't know if you go from is it DEFCON five is the worst? Or is it no? Yeah. You go from maybe DEFCON five, DEFCON four. Like it's still I, I think at least for us, it, it is a wake up call. Like why do we have to depend on someone else to know something about our customer? And right. so it's more of a strategic question as to why would we slow down knowing more about our customer? 
and like be relaxed about getting the information from somewhere else. So we're not, it's still, even if it doesn't happen, like I want first party data. I want people on my app. I want to, I want them in my asset and I want them to be able to have enough, good enough time where I'm surfacing up content there and I can talk to them and have a relationship in my right. first party assets versus having to rely on something else. So um, we're not necessarily, it's not necessarily DEF CON 5, but why relax it if you could figure out solutions for it? Don't create the urgency just by pausing 18 months and wait for it right. potentially to happen. Right. Mike, I think what's special about um, Zillow and you know maybe a few other brands is that they were in this mindset before and it's really dictating how they're thinking about their overall marketing strategy. And we were just talking about the importance of content in capturing first party data. Like you can't just say that we have a first party data strategy and leave it there. You have to think about how does that drive the rest of your creative strategy, content strategy, media strategy, et cetera. I think what's happening with other brands that maybe don't have online products and so aren't as used to the digital feedback loop is they're saying first party data is important to us, but there isn't a very clear correlation between that statement and their actions or their strategy. And I think for those, this two-year gap, it is a little bit of like, oh, okay, right. we can breathe. You know? right. yeah, that, was, that was, that was really going to be hard right. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. Really yeah. CPG, where, where you don't have that capability, you're going through another buyer to get the customer. Right. Right, right. Um, Amy, if you were at your, your, you've been, you were at Starbucks, you're as you referenced previously, but it's, it's been a while, but I wonder if, if you were there, do you think it'd be very different? Cause I, I'm at, in, you know, generally speaking, Starbucks wants me to use their app to buy stuff and they want to get as many people in that, in the tent and they don't want me going in and paying cash. They don't know who I am. Um, but I wonder like they're, they're probably, I'm imagine affected by IDFA and what's going on with Apple. Like, do you think, you think your worries would be very different if you were still there? Uh, not at all for the folks in the rewards program, because that is just like, that. that's a whole other, like first party data. People love it. They use it, all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. And I can you know, buy a muffin. Great. I'll buy a muffin. You know, it's like, it's a whole different world for the, for the customers that we don't know anything about. I would say we were trying to move a lot of the, what we know about the customers in the app to then try to apply to other advertising medium and communication mediums that then it becomes an issue because I'm like, oh, you look like you'd like a Frappuccino. So therefore I'm going to give you content that looks like something you like. And did you like it? Did you click? Did you do something with it? Like then it becomes an issue with how do you make sure you're being effective with what you're sharing, the content you're sharing, those kind of things. So I'd imagine it would be an issue because right. that's a great number of people. I think when I left the loyalty program was only 14 million and they had, you know, hundreds of millions of people going into the store. Right. But right. you know what? They didn't do much. I mean, I guess thinking back, it's like they didn't do much average advertising, right? It's not a huge advertising budget Starbucks has. What we have is the stores and you have the baristas. So right. you have that interaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you tell the barista, like, you know, if a barista doesn't like the drink you're selling, customers won't like it because they make that face when you ask, like, do you want yeah. the whatever? Like, Ugh. you're like, okay. Mm -hmm. um, so part, a lot more of the advertising is really how the barista interacts with the customer and the experience itself. Sure. So while I think it's an issue, the amount of spend that they have, in a place that's dependent on the cookies is is minuscule compared with the relationship you have with the barista in the store and stuff. True. It's still an issue that I would say it wouldn't they, they, go have, away. they have different kind of cookies, but that's that's all yes. that's terrible. Different cookies. <laughs> uh, so bad. Sorry. Um on a, we keep talking about how brands are doing they they are producing so much more content and they go to this place when they have tons of it. Maybe they're not sure, okay, are we doing this right? Is it 
is this being or being strategic or just what are you seeing like what does that look like when a when a brand is in that stage like I, I guess i'm asking two questions where is the is the content that brands are producing more of like the subtle branded sponsored content thing you're just seeing a lot more of that are you seeing it in social are you seeing it everywhere are the brands trying to trying to become like this trusted source on things like where's the action in content i guess and then what happens when you go from the next stage to try and figure out how to hone rein that in yeah so i think the traditional definition of content was really high quality tv ads like when when marketers really c-level marketers especially in cbg talked about content 10 years ago, it was TV ads, right? Like Super Bowl ads. And then it became, you know, those Instagram videos or some type of social media uh, way of reaching customers. Right. I think the level of sophistication with what content really means um, has increased and the, the breadth of content types has also increased. And I think there's an overall acknowledgement that there's a role for content at every stage of the customer journey, not just in the super high funnel brand awareness stage. So we see, you know, I mentioned higher consideration products. I think those tend to make more content because the harder something is to sell and the longer it takes, the more you have to create value for the customer for them yep. to keep coming back and learning about it. So when you look at real estate, financial services, B2B technology, consulting, uh, hospital, healthcare, et cetera, there's content that's being created from, you know, super upper funnel, um, you know, love our brand all the way to here's how to buy, you know, a home or here's why you should still come in for your surgery in spite of COVID all the way down to, you know, here's the best way to interact with your doctor or the easiest way to interact with your doctor. So I think the complexity is is both because the volume has increased, but also because now there's content being created across the entire funnel. So how do you bring order to that madness? And I think the first action that we see is that there's just an, a realization that volume has to go down, quality has to increase, and more money has to be spent on targeting the right people at the right time versus just creating for the sake of creating. Don't just and do more. Times, sorry? Don't just do more because you think you should. Yeah, but you know what's funny is uh, everyone's very emotionally invested in content. So when you have 13 different business units or 13 different domains making content, mm -hmm. there's like 13 mini content teams and they have their own content creators and they just want to keep producing because that's the remit. So oftentimes our data is actually used as the standard across the board, the source of truth to negotiate with everyone and say, not you suck or your content sucks, but like <laughs> make less of this and let's put that money into this other thing that actually worked. Right. But you know what's interesting yeah. is Go ahead, coming my my prior life again, so running I guess the businesses more. Um, sometimes the only tool you have, depending on the site of your business, so like tea was didn't get as much spending per se as like coffee, let's say. Content may be the only way you feel as a marketer that you can communicate to your customer because these other channels or the other spend isn't something. So it's not even just the, are we talking to the right customer at the time? That's a whole mindset shift. If I have to like step back and let a computer tell me when someone wants to see a tea message versus somebody wants to see a Frappuccino, it's like, wait, 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 wait but I'm responsible for the PL and I have to drive right. something. So I'm doing something, I'm creating something. So put this content out in this one channel with this one blog and I'm going to be good. I'm going to hit my number. So there's a, there's right. a, there's a whole mental 
shift that also has to happen is trust and how do you drive that and i think what anna said is true is you have to almost have the data to say no 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 you're still going to get your lift because here's how we're doing it here's just how you have to think differently right anna do you think because we mentioned all the different kinds of content that keeps changing are brands should uh, this might be hard too hard to answer are brands should brands think of should influencer and cre the creator economy part of content be treated very very differently than like the pure, I don't know, I guess sponsored content or pure pure content marketing, the way we've thought about it. And these, high, these high consideration brands need to explain the category and things that, and pr provide a service. Should those things be together or not? Well, you know, I have an opinion about everything, so I'll offer mine, <laughs> but I feel like Amy is the more qualified marketer in the room, in the Zoom room. Um, so my, my thoughts are content is content. And I think what's important is to have an integrated strategy. Um, I think the most important is to have a real-time feedback loop that tells you what's working and what's not. So essentially, don't have three different teams, one that does paid content, one that does own content, one that does influencer content. Have a team that sits across the board or at least a data set or some way to exchange insights that says, influencer content X performed really well. We actually think we should test this on paid or we think we should test it on owned. Let's see how it performs there. Let's see if it drives towards the next best action that we want customers to take. Content is content. You can take it. The, one of the most beautiful things about it is you can take it, cut it 50 different ways and put it in 50 different places and test it out. Um, so that's my that's my thinking. Amy? Yeah, it's so funny when you say, here's the content piece. I, start, I think to the organizational challenge of then making that come to real. It's funny uh, realization. Um, Totally. That's the one thing. If you're a channel owner, should we necessarily expect you to be, because in the past you hadn't needed to be, um, a message specialist to understand literally how should I say that in my channel, right? And if you have right. four or five or six or 10 different channels, and all of a sudden now they're responsible for content, your tone and manner of the company are different if everybody's responsible, even if you're using, probably I'm using the same studio, probably there's an APM somewhere writing something, right? So, um, uh, we've been experimenting with this idea of how do you have just what Ando was saying? How do you have a person that understands content itself? What are you trying to say, et cetera? And then use the um, intelligence of the channel owners as to bring those two pieces together and be strategic about where you're doing things. I mean, I'd love to say I could test right now in social and the paid would use it, but they'd like, is the trust there? Well, that's a free channel. They could do, well, how do you really? So there's also the whole, how do we all work together to really prove this stuff out? What's the what's eighty percent good enough to move forward? So we're in the middle of figuring all that out. Right, and Anna, you've you've talked about this where you've seen a lot more, and this has been very public. But there's a lot more chief content officers being hired or senior level executives. Do, do you think you're going to see a, more of that? Is it is that going to be tricky for brands to try and figure out? Well, these do, do we put these people in charge of everything and then all these different 14 groups you've, like you described or how is that going to work? Yeah, I was I was uh, taking Amy yesterday through this visualization that um, I created like at 3 a.m. one night because I was trying to answer this question for myself. <laughs> I was like, why can't I just put my finger on it? And essentially what I realized is that um, as, as brands are you know, realizing, oh, we're probably making too much. Oh, it's actually so decentralized. We need to sing out of the same songbook and have certain functions be more centralized. I think they're starting by hiring a content leader. So we've seen, I think now it's public because uh, you changed your LinkedIn, but we've seen Goldman Sachs hired the CMO of Insider to be their global head of content. 
Um, you know, you're talking to the Novartis CMO, she's hiring a global head of content. Bank of America has had a global head of content, but they're continuing to elevate that role. Uh, you know, BCG has just hired the former head of content from PwC to mm -hmm. be the CMO for North America. I think there's an overarching realization like, oh, hey, this matters. And the second realization is also we can't centralize everything or maybe some brands are trying to, but some brands are right. saying we're going to centralize, you know, insights and we're going to centralize strategy. Um, but then we're going to actually leave certain functions within the business units to empower them to do what they know best. Um, and I know, obviously, Amy, you've also brought someone in to, to do that centrally, but I'll let you talk about it. Yeah, we have content. We're con that's the, that was our thing, right? For 15 years, we're democratizing content. Um, right. And so you have 5,000 people democratizing content. So so it was important to understand, like, first we had to start with what's the definition of content. So is the picture of the house coming off the MLS, is that content? Or right. is content the like is it the mortgage calculator? Or is content, so just coming up with one definition of how these things fall was a huge win um, because people get really territorial. I brought in some of your content. Oh my God, all of a sudden I have no power. So that was the first thing. And then now it's really getting, and the teams are working actually really well together is if you create the structure with which to interact and the rules of engagement, it's, it's, it's great. It's great. It's been really fantastic. Um, and it frees up once you know what it is you're defining and what you're trying to do, like to have common goals. Right. All right, Amy, I'll, I'll, I'm going to wrap us up on this. It's been a terrific conversation. But speaking of great content, or maybe I, I'm curious what you guys thought when the uh, when when the, when the SNL skit hit. I think that was probably last, <laughs> last spring. Um, for those who, for those who haven't seen it, it's very funny. Where there, it's you, you, as you described during the especially during quarantine, people were fantasizing about homes and playing around, and it's almost like the, it's almost like a, like a dating app. But for but they but Zillow was like with the way they were acting on fantasies. Like, when, when that happens, is that a great moment for you guys? You do anything? You just kind of let it ride? Um, you amplify it? Like what happens when something like that happens for a big brand? Right. It, it's funny as a marketer to get a text earlier than it plays because you're I'm on the West Coast, right? Right, um, right. That OMG SNL spoofing Zillow. They don't give you it's a heads like, up, I'm sure, wood, right? Wood, wood, wood. Yeah, no, 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 no. And then, of course, you're like going, because that could go either way with SNL, right? As, yeah, they could brand. crush you or, or not. Totally, yeah. totally. <laughs> and so the first thing was like to breathe after seeing the text and then seeing other texts come in <laughs> and then to watch mm. it. Um, it was it was really amazing because the fun part of it was seeing responses from customers that are like, uh, I, I'm on Zillow while I'm watching Saturday Night Live and Dan <laughs> Levy is talking about being on Zillow. So it's just fun to see how on on brand and in the customers' minds that whole skit was. So it was fantastic. So we did try to, um, we, we leaned into it enough. You know, we pinged Dan, he pinged us back. Like th there was some fun right. stuff we did. Right. But it is how people interact with us. So it wasn't like you had to do something more different is you know we amp up more of the social things that we were doing the swipe left or right is whether or not you like uh the gothic structure or the yep, craftsman yep. structure right so um so it was fun it was fun it was fun to see thank goodness wipe my, wipe my brow that you can't yeah. see listening to the radio um and we just leaned into it more because it was a cultural moment and it continues to happen right so it's you fun. just gotta get dan in your next spot then and just keep keep yeah, keep riding yeah. it yeah, and uh -huh. it's good too because I couldn't have done that, right? Like, you don't ever do something like that as a brand. It would be like, Ugh. no, hey. yeah, yeah. That's that's full on your face territory if you try to do totally, that. Totally, totally. You're like, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
I right. Know. But Amy, I thought there was something so powerful about the fact that as soon as that came out, every single person I knew, including myself, kind of went, oh, my God, that's me. Right, <laughs> right. They weren't like, oh, come on. They were like, yes, yeah, totally. It's funny. Yes, it's funny. Yes, and yes, what, right. I, what I then thought was, how much money would I have, you know, I don't know, Nielsen asked for it to run a research study that would have eventually told you that this is the ultimate insight. <laughs> and <laughs> SNL probably got there in like 30 seconds. They were like, right, right, right. That's funny. And I was joking true. with someone the other day about it. I was like, that, that was that was a great, that was one of the best insight studies we've ever done as a company. Right totally. there. Like right, they had right. it, whatever the responses were. Yeah, I don't use it that much, but it's a good insight. Right, yeah. you're not getting yeah. that from uh, Miller Brown or whatever, but uh, yeah. Anyway, awesome conversation, Amy. Amy and Anna, thanks so much for your time, and let's let's keep talking about this down the road. Thanks again, guys. Great, thanks for having me. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Amy. A big thanks to my guest this week, Amy Johnson, CMO of Zillow Group, and Anna Gonska, founder and CEO of Notch, and of course, my partners at AppsFlyer. If you like this episode, please take a moment to rate and leave a review. We have lots more to bring you, so be sure to hit that subscribe button. And we'll see you next time for more on what's next in marketing.